0: My name is Dr. Tram Jones. Starting in December 2019, my wife and I lived in Haiti. Recently, given the current insecurity, we are out of the country, but we continue to support and work with our partner clinic, Les moon with its 53 employees on the ground in the city of Bouquet Haiti. This is the third part in our series on U.S. military intervention in Haiti. In our last episode, we talked about the occupation of Haiti from 1914, To 1934. Any way you look at it, from the perspective of the Americans, from the Haitians, from the US military, the elite in Haiti, it was a disaster. It would be another 60 years before American troops would set foot on Haitian soil. In the intervening years, much had changed in Haiti and in the world. Let's start with Haiti. I'm going to try to unpack those complex 60 years in the next 60 seconds. After the U.S. invasion ended in 1934, Haiti had a series of presidents until their most famous dictator seized power in 1957, Papa Doc. He was brutal, and he held the country in check with his infamous secret police, the Tonton Makut. When he died, his playboy son, Baby Doc, continued the regime. But by the 80s, the people were tired of dictatorship. A rebellion rose up, and U.S. President Reagan pressured Baby Doc to step down. He was whisked away on a U.S. Air Force plane, taking with him much of the country's financial reserves. Over the next few years, the army headed a transitional government while Haiti prepared for the first free democratic elections in its 180 year history. There was one man, and one man only, who was going to win Jean Bertrand Aristide. Aristide was the firebrand former priest who had spoken out against Baby Doc's dictatorship. He was colloquially known as the priest of the poor. Living and preaching in the slums of Port-au-Prince. Finally, in December 1990, he stood for election and won in a landslide, garnering 67% of the vote. No Haitian politician has ever had that level of support. At this point in Haiti, there were roughly two sides: Aristide, the reformer, backed by the people of the slums and the poor areas of the capital. and on the other side, the military and the business elite. These individuals had thrived under the dictatorship of Papa and Baby Doc. Aristide threatened to reverse that. He wanted to put the army under civilian control and prosecute prior human rights abuses. Eventually, the military decided to act. Just eight months after his election, the army mutinied. Soldiers overtook the National Palace, seizing Aristide, and brought him to the army headquarters. Only last-minute pleading by the combined ambassadors of France, the U.S., and Venezuela Prevented Aristide from being executed. He was instead flown into exile. As we said, much had happened in the world in the 60 years since the last American invasion. Colonialism, at least outright colonialism, was out. In its place, during the Cold War, America had decided whether they wanted to support a developing country based on whether they were in the Soviet or American camp. If you were pro American, you got support, whether you were evil or good. But in 1989, the Berlin Wall fell. It was a new world with new hope. Perhaps, instead of poor countries being caught in the web of great power games, countries like the United States could help them without ulterior motives. Again, that was the hope. Aristide first fled to Venezuela and then eventually ended up in the United States. The head of the military in Haiti became the de facto leader. The international community was outraged. Neighboring countries and even eventually the UN imposed a trade embargo on Haiti for everything outside of food and medicine. While this was perhaps warranted and maybe even a good move, the embargo devastated the economy and private industry. Jobs disappeared, but still the military clung to power. Eventually, Clinton decided that this could not stand. It was 1994 and three years had passed. Nothing had worked. The embargo, negotiations, even a naval blockade. Finally, he approached the U.N. Security Council and obtained a resolution authorizing force to oust the military leaders and reinstall Aristide. The U.S. mission would be called Operation Uphold Democracy. In September of that year, 25,000 U.S. soldiers anchored by two aircraft carriers set sail for Haiti. The coup leaders had believed that Clinton was bluffing. There was no way the U.S. would intervene to overthrow them, And yet, in the final hours, a delegation of Jimmy Carter, Sam Nunn, and Colin Powell were dispatched to Port-au-Prince. They showed the coup leaders a panic-inducing video showing that, indeed, airborne units were currently en route to the island. This shocked them. They hastily agreed to surrender, again like the dictators before them, boarding a U.S. Air Force jet for exile. U.S. forces landed with the opposite of resistance. The population was grateful and delighted crowds swarmed the plane that returned their elected president to his home country. Over the ensuing months, pockets of resistant military units were disarmed, with minimal Haitian casualties and no American deaths. After six years, the U.S. handed over command to a U.N. peacekeeping force that would remain for a little over a year. Elections were successfully held with the peaceful transfer of power. Operation Uphold Democracy was an intubation that proceeded about as well as possible. It had all the elements that could make for a successful intervention. Broad support from Haitians. There was no other viable alternative. There was international support. No Americans were killed in the initial phases. And there was a clear succession plan to restore the president. There were three primary objectives. Remove the military junta, reinstate President Aristide, and restore democracy. The first two were undeniably met the last was at least met in the short term. And here is where I want to camp out for a second. A military intervention, like a medical intubation, has its limitations. The United States is not capable of creating a long-standing democracy by itself. This can only be done by the citizens of a nation. In the same way, if we are in the hospital and we intubate someone for, say, viral meningitis, we have to wait for the body to heal itself. The breathing tube doesn't heal the body, it only gives the body a chance to do it itself. There were, as will always, always be the case, some mistakes made. But mostly, these were not the military. These were political decisions, and not a direct result of the invasion. First, shortly after arriving, Aristide completely disbanded the Haitian military. He said, enough of this. I'm tired of the coups and the revolutions. So since 1995, Haiti has had no military. Now, that sounds great, except for in a time like the present when gangs control the entire country. The police are no match for the firepower of the gangs, and there's no military to back them up. Second, Clinton leaned on Aristide to fully get rid of Haiti's protective tariffs in a bid to spur free trade and industry. Unfortunately, as we've talked about in the past, this led to a destruction of Haiti's agriculture sector, as it couldn't compete at all with subsidized goods from the U.S. These are real problems, but again, these seem more related to the politics of Haiti and the U.S. and less because of military intervention. The primary complaint, when people think back to this time, was that the intervention was successful in the short term, but it failed to create democracy in the long run. Haiti had successful elections and turnover of power in 1995 and again in 2000, but a new civil war broke out in 2004. Look at ourselves in America. We've followed kind of a familiar path for superpowers in history as they view their power in the world. After the Berlin Wall fell, we felt we could completely mold countries into perfect democracies. And then, after misadventures in Iraq and Afghanistan, we came to believe the opposite, that we could only make things worse. And the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. We can create the conditions that give a society an opportunity to change. Without the threat of U.S. force, there was no chance the military junta would cede power. And immediately after Aristide took the presidency, he would not have been able to remain in power without the U.S. military protecting him. But we alone did not have the power to create a long-standing democracy. Were mistakes made in the ensuing years by both the U.S. and Haiti? Certainly. But also, post-conflict countries are fragile. According to an analysis by Paul Collier, about 50% of countries will redescend into civil war or a coup within 10 years of a revolution. Now, paradoxically, at the same time, this immediate time right after a conflict, it's really a fertile opportunity for change. The status quo has been overturned, and it's often the first time in a generation that true change can happen in a country. It's the perfect period where wise assistance can really make a change. So nearly 30 years later, How should we look back on Operation Uphold Democracy? I think it can demonstrate twin lessons. First, we can make a difference. We can break the back of dictators, stop bloodshed, and create a pocket for democracy to develop. But second, it should give us humility. Building a democracy for another country, it's not really possible. We can only create the conditions for leaders to build their country. And we might fail in the long run. In in fact, we probably should fail occasionally in the long run. It means that we're working in the most difficult places in the world, where good is sorely needed. So would we do it all over again? Everyone will have a different opinion, but my personal opinion is probably yes. The military intervention had no loss of life. Political violence was halted in the short term. Lives were saved. That alone may have made the operation worth it. But let's talk about the long term. Yes, as you went in, you knew you only had a 50% chance that a long-term democracy would take hold. But in chronically unstable countries, 50%? Maybe that's not so bad. I think many of Somalia's neighbors would provide a good amount of support for a 50% chance of long-term stability. The risk may be moderate, but the potential reward is very high. As leaders across the world contemplate what to do in Haiti today, we should at least remember that although we cannot fix everything everywhere, we can affect good in limited ways in many parts of the world. Thank you for listening. Every other Wednesday, we tell another story from Haiti. Our goal is simply to tell stories as we have seen them in the country. But Haiti is a fascinating country with a rich history. There are many Haitians who can tell the story of Haiti in all its richness, and we encourage you to seek them out. To learn more about the work of Light from Light in Haiti, go to lightfromlight.me. Thank you, and God bless.